Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Western Hunting Hub Podcast. We are jumping back with Paul Navarre with wolves in Colorado. Last time we talked more elk hunting, coos deer hunting, turkey hunting, just a little bit of the warm-up to the conversation. And now we get in the, we're getting into that update about the wolves in Colorado as well as wolves in uh, kind of some other little spots around the west where it's a hot spot. Uh, I know this is a two-part episode and we're going to jump right into the middle of the conversation, but I've got multiple part parted out episodes going on so i know that may be a little confusing so if you're following along with kind of the traditional archery that's just a series kind of in the works still and been shooting my trad bow doing some different things with that getting some getting some folks to come on and so that that'll just be a process uh definitely not going to learn how to shoot a recurve in a week and so we'll get those episodes as they come so that will continue but also i'm going to get a new puppy today and that means definitely gonna talk about some some dog things with people so because uh, that's what i like to talk about is whatever's hot and going on right now at this time topics of interest so we'll get uh, a little dog series going as well probably just going to be talking about dogs for the next two years here and there uh just because that's a big part of hunting in the west as well as elsewhere uh not as much in the west but there's definitely uh some good opportunities and people love their dogs so we're gonna i got a new hunting dog coming that's pretty exciting but we're gonna jump right into this episode with paul uh right in the middle of the conversation we're just getting rolling with the wolves in Colorado in this section where we jump in. Thanks for listening. Well, staying on Colorado um, and, and getting to wolves, 
Yeah. Uh, so we we all kind of know the the vote was close and uh, way too close, and uh, it, it it did pass. So get a give us a general update and some what's going on with our wolves. Okay, well, there's no doubt about it that the Baldwin Initiative was close, and I've got the data here. So uh, 50.4% said yes, and 49.6% said no. So the no's lost by 26,080 votes. It was real close. Nobody could predict the winner until probably the last few hours or days because Boulder and Denver counties had not been counted yet. So it was very close. And it was closer before even that. I remember watching it like a thousand, two thousand votes and it just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. Yes. It was, yeah, yeah, it was. So there were, there were about, uh, 52, uh, not 52, 3.2 million votes. So there was uh, 1,503,237,000 yeses and 1,487,157 noes. Uh, and here's how, here's how the counties, I'm just going to give you a little, little idea and your readers is that, or listeners, 12 of the 64 counties voted more yeses than no. So there's 64 counties in Colorado from east to west, north to south. And the ones that voted more yeses and noes, unfortunately, even the county I live in, Larimer, they voted uh, 52% to 48. The biggest one was Boulder, it was 68% versus 32. And then uh, Denver was 66 versus 34, 64% in San Gamil County versus 36, Pitkin County, 62 versus 38%, Summit County, 55 versus 46. So it was definitely the front range from Larimer to Boulder to Denver to to Colorado Springs, but then even uh, Aspen, not Aspen, but Vail area, and then over and around uh, Durango. Two of the counties over there voted more yeses than noes, but there were a lot of college towns there. And of course, along the front range, we have people that didn't realize what even the wolf issue is. I talked to somebody here locally that said, oh, I voted yes. And I went, why did you do that? Well, I saw that the ranchers would be compensated for the wolf, uh, any predation on their on their product. And he didn't know anything about wildlife and what might happen with wolves and wildlife, et cetera. So um, people didn't... there's a lot of people that were not informed or just weren't educated and and some people didn't even know the wolf issue was on the ballot until all of a sudden it was right there in front of them. And uh, there was a lot of emotion involved. So no doubt about it, it's, it's passed. And uh, the Division of Wildlife here in Colorado has a uh, has two years to put together a plan to hold public meetings. And uh, by uh, December of 2023, there will be wolves on the ground somewhere in Colorado. Uh, that somewhere uh, is going to be west of the Continental Divide. And I looked up this. There is uh, 44 wilderness areas in Colorado, and some of those range from small acres to large. And I'm nobody knows exactly where they're going to be reintroduced, but I'm going to guess this. The Wilmanich Wilderness Area down in the southwest corner of Colorado, down near Durango, an area is almost 500,000 acres. That's the largest one in Colorado. 
The next two, the flat tops, where I do a lot of hunting, and that's north of Glenwood Springs and uh, south of uh, Steamboat area, that's 235,000 acres. And the Santa Cristo Mountains is 220,000. So I would have bet over time at least those three will have roles in them uh, introduced. So it's uh, the by, wilderness areas is where they're going to... Yeah, it's going to be on public land. And then even the petition said uh, on on designated approved private land. So I doubt if they're going to be put on private land. I don't know that. The plan is still in the working stage. They just started this this year. But I'm sure that the Flat Tops and the Wilman H and the Santa Cristos are going to be highly considered. Uh, and they're going to try to keep the wolf introduction away from any concentration of cattle ranches. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. And I'm, I'm going to give your readers some uh, uh, YouTube uh, areas or information to look up because all everything we're going to be talking about today is being covered by the Division of Wildlife and by uh, the federal agencies who have been working with wolves for the last, since 1994 and even prior. And there's some really good interviews of people, and there's a lot of questions being answered and asked on these interviews. And so you can really get a, a lot of great information from the proverbial horse's mouth, but I know a little bit, So, but I'm going to refer your, your listeners to some of these sites to look up on their own, and they, they're very informative, and they can really get a good idea about what other states have experienced and what other states are trying to do and have done in the past. One thing that's interesting, though, the federal government under the Endangered Species Act mandated that wolves would be reintroduced to Yellowstone, Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, and they did that. So it was the federal government that did that, and then the states could take control of the wolf populations once they established a certain population. Well, that got fought in court off and on, and then the wolves kept growing in population. And finally, just recently, uh, wolves were delisted. Here in Colorado, Colorado was never part of the Northern Rockies Wolf Management Area. The federal government was never going to say, we're going to have wolves in Colorado, and we're going to spend federal money on it, and we're going to do it. But so the pro-wolfers said, well, we're going to go through the Baldwin Initiative. So this is the first time ever in the, with with dealing with wolves that a ballot initiative was used to force the Colorado government to have wolves in Colorado. And as the, as the um, ballot initiative uh, was was stated uh, and that Colorado will have wolves introduced, a plan will be devised and Colorado will use the best science and best manage to not only manage the wolves, but also to, to help cattle, uh, livestock growers to mitigate any wolf uh, kill issues. The good thing is now I understand you introduced you uh, interviewed Perry Wills uh, yeah. a while back. Yep. Well, Perry, as you as your listeners probably know and you know, is that he used to be at the uh, in, with the Divisional Wildlife back in the day, and then he became a congressman. Uh, it was up for grabs how this uh, wolf initiative was going to be funded. That was my next uh, question. Yes, and so there was a big fear that it was all going to come out of game cash fund, which means that every time you buy a hunting and fishing license in Colorado, that money goes into a fund, and that that fund supports the Division of Wildlife, their infrastructure and all their science and all their law enforcement and all their policy making done. Uh, 
and uh, I think about 75% or 70% of that money comes from hunting and fishing licenses. The other 25%, half of that comes from the Go Colorado Lottery Fund, which I think that's used for habitat and educational purposes only. And then the other part comes from the Pittman-Roberts Act, which is a 10% license fee charge tax on hunting ammunition and bow equipment. And that's fed back to the state based on the number of hunters and fishermen in the state. So that's where their revenue comes from. Perry Wills introduced a bill uh, initially, and it was to use the general fund. So everybody in Colorado has to pay for it, just not hunters and fishermen. Initially, that didn't pass, but it was rewritten that it would not only use the general fund, but any other available federal funds that the Fish and Wildlife Service might have available to use for wolf management and also for compensating the ranchers on any losses they may uh, curtail, or not curtail, but have. I have never seen anywhere where somebody's dog or llama or horse uh, on a on a recreational basis would be compensated, but uh, that that's something else that the Division of Wildlife is going to have to figure out. So that bill passed recently. Oh wow! I, I knew yes, some of that was going on, but I didn't know the results. Yeah. So if there's, so that's good. It's it's gonna it's gonna allow the people who voted more yeses and nos some transparency on how much this is going to cost the state. So there's the question: is how much is this going to cost? So initially, just coming up with a plan, even before the full first wolf hits the ground, was going to cost somewhere between seven hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars for the first two years of planning, and then every year after that, for the next four or five or six years, it was going to cost a million dollars or more. And so, uh, I think the bill asks for five million dollars. And over the next five or six years to pay for this wolf reintroduction. So that's going to take a lot of the pressure off the Division of Wildlife from a funding standpoint or a monetary outlay of money. And they can still go on and do their other management purposes for other wildlife and small game and endangered species. And a lot of the general funds now, whether the general taxpayer cares where the money came from, uh, probably not. Uh, whether the pro-wolfers, they don't care where the money came from, but they did sign on to the fact that they support uh, Perry Will's uh, uh, bill, and uh, so that's where it's at today. So that's that's a good thing. It's going to yeah. come. It's going to allow people that voted for it said might might believe now that gee, I didn't know it was going to cost five million dollars or a million dollars. Gee, maybe I would have voted differently. I think, and I didn't have no way of proving this. I think if it hadn't been for the pandemic, that that vote might have been more in our favor of more no's than yeses by a couple percentages, because hmm. we were, weren't able to get the word out like we wanted to. I gave a couple seminars locally, and I even gave it to the local county commissioners, and I was going to give some more seminars, and those things were going to happen, but it didn't happen. So I can only guess it might have happened. I would like to think that we would have won that issue, but we didn't, so we have to move forward and uh, let the Division of Wildlife do their thing. And doing their thing is interesting. So I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to let your listeners take a pencil and a paper down and write down a couple things. Okay. Because I want them to, to get it from the horse's mouth, everything that the 
Colorado Parks and Wildlife is going to go through and the information that is available to really put a perspective on the management, where the wolves are going to come from, and get the dialect from people that have been in the wolf field for many years up in Yellowstone and even prior to that. So on YouTube, they can put in YouTube Colorado Parks and Wildlife Wolf Sessions 1, Wolf Sessions 2, Wolf Sessions 3. And Wolf Session 1, I listened to about a month ago, was wolf management and wolf prey interactions. And two people, one from the Montana Department of Wildlife and the other one was from the Idaho, gave a nice presentation on their experience with wolves over the last 30 years. The one I listened to today, and it's on YouTube, was Wolf Reintroduction Logistics and Lessons Learned, and Ed Banks, a retired U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service guy, and uh, another guy named Mike, he was retired from U.S. Fish and Wildlife, they gave a, a pretty uh, good uh, overview of their their experiences with wolves in Montana, their introduction of wolves in Idaho, Montana, and, and Wyoming. And Mike was uh, works in Wyoming or used to work in Wyoming. And they answered a lot of questions about ungulates, deer, elk, moose. They talked about the predation of wolves on cattle and sheep. They talked about where it was an, a, not a good idea to, to put the wolves if there's too many cattle around. They talked about do you bring in a soft approach of bringing in families of wolves and house them in the area and then disperse them? Or do you bring in a hard approach where you just disperse younger wolves out and let them travel and find the area where they want to be and eventually make a home somewhere? And that was really good. And, and I would highly recommend that everybody – uh, go on YouTube and find these. And the third one is going to be livestock, wolf livestock damage mitigation and compensation. And even Montana now, at one time they were only paying for proven wolf kills. Well, if somebody like in Colorado has, has cattle up in the mountains, I know where I hunt the flat tops, there's cattle roaming around. And if, if, if they could even in, find it. They'd be lucky. That's right. And, and so what happened over the years is that some guy would maybe release 500 cattle up there and only 400 return. And maybe they could prove that maybe not in Colorado, but other places that wolves killed 10 of those cattle. Now they're going to, Montana's paying for those that, that might've been killed or didn't return or were lost. So there's still some mitigating going on there. There's, there's, there's still, it has to be an action from somebody to actually go out in the field and, and justify the payment for for cattle uh, uh, and livestock and sheep, uh, same thing. And uh, but there, certainly there's there's going to be some some prey on on elk uh, and uh, some deer and moose. Uh, and, but the Division of Wildlife is just going to handle that. They're going to have to ha they're going to have to manage wolves like any other big game species. They're just going to have to come up with a plan. They're going to have to have people in the field. Uh, they're going to have to compensate uh, some ranchers and and maybe even pet owners for wolf kills. Uh, I, yeah, again, I'm going to highly recommend that your readers look these three sessions up and listen to them. I'll, I'll put the I'll put the links in the show notes so they'll be there for people just to click oh yeah. on. Yeah, it's just just so so much information. You know, recently we were talking about Idaho. 
and I think Idaho and Montana just made the the press uh, in the last year. Uh, Idaho has almost 1,500 wolves, and there was no doubt that there were wolves in Idaho even before the reintroduction uh, in uh, in '95 in northern Idaho. And uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service put another 36 or 37 into Idaho uh, to get uh, maybe a, a different area can, uh, with wolves in it. And now there's up to 1,500 wolves in Idaho. The, the original plan was to have 10 mating pair, packs of, and 15 wolves, for no more than 150 wolves in Colorado, or I mean in Idaho. The mm -hmm. legislature has been looking at this, not the Department of Natural Resources or Fish and or yeah, Conservation Organization. I'm not saying that right either. Idaho Fishing Game. The, the evidently the the legislature is seeing and hearing from their livestock growers we need to control these wolves some of them are really getting hit by wolves and others maybe not so much but there seems to be a movement in idaho to reduce the wolf population from 1500 down to 1500 or down to 150. Hmm. now so politics has really gotten involved here a lot of course politics got involved here in colorado with bell initiative the state of Colorado, the Wildlife Commission, was against the forced introduction. They said, yeah, let them come in naturally. But that was a political decision done by a ballot initiative. But uh, Idaho, Idaho legislature is saying, we want to reduce this wolf population. We're getting enough feedback from some of our ranchers that there's too many around and they're, they're paying the price for it. And they're allowing some, maybe some night hunting with night goggles. They're allowing types of hunting, maybe even chasing them down. I read an article where they might be even allow somebody with a snowmobile to run a wolf down over a, a big pasture and, and shoot it down. Some legislature is saying, well, that's not really fair chase. So who knows where that's going to go? Um, From what I understand is that the success rate on that is pretty low. I mean, killing a wolf is not an easy thing. A little bit. That's of, what I have understand. They've become, they've become very, very smart. So uh, and, in areas where they've been hunted at all, and they're 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 not allowing themselves to be an easy target anymore. And thermal yeah. imaging scopes are gaining a ton of popularity. I mean, I've been out using one in South Dakota with a friend, and you would think it'd just be like shooting fish in a barrel, but it still isn't even then. <laughs> There's we I think we I've gone out twice with them, and we got skunked both nights. Maybe that's just us not having a good spot, or some factor on coyotes but it was he he has some success uh plenty of success and he said he's found shot a few with his his thermal scope and shoots them during the day as well so the that's a it's not a it's not a for sure thing <laughs> just because a uh, you would think someone that's never seen one use one whatever thinks that's just an easy 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 way of doing it there's still those animals are smart. They're really, really smart. Well, no, no doubt about it. And, and Idaho has a lot of rough areas in it, to, in it where a lot of hunters can't even get back into or are unwilling to get way back. And some of the wolves are in there, and they're very hard to uh, to maintain in numbers. 
what I read about Idaho is that even the Division of Wildlife in Idaho is not is is against this this political movement to reduce the wolves as drastically as they want to. They would rather lose use the science and the best methodology to control the wolves within a reasonable number. I think what has happened in some areas like Montana and Idaho, where the federal government came in there and infringed upon the rights of the state to introduce wolves back in 95, maybe that is still in the minds of some ranchers and some legislatures that we don't want the feds telling us what to do. And by golly, we were only supposed to have 150, maybe to 200 wolves in Idaho, and now we have 1,500. And now that they've been delayed listed, we're going to take control of the wolf population and bring it back to what was understood to be their fair numbers back in the day. And that might be, but there's going to be, I've, I've got to believe, Clint, that there's going to be some lawsuits from somewhere around the line that this may or may not happen, or it's going to be reduced in, in the, in the way that people might think it might happen. I mm. mean, there is so much outcry about this from, from all the pro wolf organizations and maybe even the, the state organization that, that manages wildlife in Idaho. Uh, so there might be a change, but I don't know that for, for sure. I know up in Wisconsin, when they delisted the wolves, they just had a recent hunt up there. That was and a they nightmare. Killed, they killed <laughs> like 230 wolves. That was, that was proclaimed to happen by the legislature a few years back if the wolves ever got delisted. And they even had a wolf hunt there, I think, maybe a couple of years ago. And then once the wolves got delisted, uh, they said, we were going to have another one. Well, they, the legislature backed off of that to have that hunt this, this last winter. But there was an outside group from an adjacent state conservation hunting organization that actually sued the legislature and they and the judge was in favor of the conservation organization that that the legislature was backing out of what they had already proclaimed to be a hunt and they opened up the hunt three days they killed 235 wolves but the outcry of that of course was went across the state uh, all the pro-wolf organizations from defenders of wildlife started showing little pups being you know protect this pup is hunters are going to kill it in its den and you know they very emotional so as as these uh, colorado sessions one two and three will show you there are people that will never want wolves on the property there are people that want to see wolves on their property there will be those in between the state just has to come up with the best management practice and be credible that's and i think colorado is in a in a good stage where they have formulated partners with all the federal people and organizations that have dealt with wolves in the past. So they don't have to read, write the book. And what Colorado did recently is that they formulated uh, two organi- two groups of people. One was a technical group, maybe other state and federal agencies to oversee uh, Colorado's wolf plan and help in the in the formation of it and that is a uh that is a uh let's see that is a technical working group and there must be 20 people on that from county commissioners to parks and wildlife to uh uh university extension people on and on to help with the uh with the technical side of it and then there's a stakeholder advisory group made of uh, for an example, uh, Dan Gates, 
who is a, a hunter and a trapper and has been involved with the uh, Legislative Sportsman's Caucus here in Colorado. And then there's a variety of other people from different aspects of, co- of wolf management, from those who want them to those who don't want them. So they've got this all formulated. Mm. And then having these uh, three sessions publicized for the public to look at is another good step. And uh, so it's it's going to be interesting how it all turns out and how many wolves are going to be put down what the, the these three sessions i just watched the second one they uh, they were talking about where and and how and how many and of course they said no doubt about it what we do the wolves will change it uh they have a tendency to to do what they want to do they'll disperse where they want to disperse they'll find the habitat they want to habitat and no matter what we do sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong they said the main thing to do is maintain the credibility of the organization doing this, which is the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, with the help of other federal and 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 state groups, but using the best management and best science and maintaining the credibility with the public. Uh, and the worst thing they can do is get bad press about you know wolf pups dying or this and that and do, making the wrong decisions, but. That's going to be part of this wolf plan, and it's forced upon us, and we just have to live with it. And uh, and they talked about cattle. Evidently, the wolves, if they're introduced in the sheep area or they get into that area, they'll they'll really they really do some damage with the sheep. But and even some cattle, I don't think more than a couple hundred cattle a year will be killed in Colorado, like in Montana and Idaho and Wyoming, even though there's you know 3.3 million cattle in those states. Uh, but uh, what they try to do is uh, use uh, non-lethal methods, and then they use lethal methods. And they find a, a wolf pack in, that are really harassing some guy's cattle ranch. They'll go in there and remove them. They might trap them and, and, and put them somewhere else, but they said that doesn't work all the time. They might just go in and have to shoot them uh, if, the best they can. And they tr- try to keep that conflict down. And so there's a lot of a tremendous amount of years uh, in wolf management and wolf information and wolf science that Colorado can take advantage of. And thank goodness we don't have to pay for it through the through the game cash fund, and the general public is going to have to pay for it that way. Uh, that's Colorado a, is going to have to. That's a win you know, if there's a win in this. That's right. for sure. Yeah, that that is that that's a big win. And so in 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 two years or a year and a half, we're going to have. So where are the wolves going to come from? I think most likely, and they even discussed this today, and even on the first session, they won't come from Michigan. They won't come from Wisconsin or Minnesota because it's a different habitat and a different prey species up there. They're going to take wolves from an area where they have a similar habitat and a similar prey, and that's going to be from Wyoming, Montana, or Idaho. That's where the wolves are going to come from. I doubt if they're going to come from Canada or British Columbia, where the initial wolves came from, the Yellowstone and, and Idaho, hmm. they'll come from these other states. And as one biologist said on the, on the interview, he says, I'm sure Wyoming would be more than glad to uh, trap more <laughs> wolves and send them down here. Yeah. yeah. And, and all these biologists saying these wolves are going to disperse. Uh, don't be, don't be, if they put them in the flat top wilderness area, that young male or a, a small pack might end up in Idaho, might end up in Utah, might end up in back in Wyoming, might end up in Nebraska over over time, 
over time. And they might even filter down into New Mexico and mate with the Mexican wolf down there over time. And so a lot's going to happen. And uh, they think they know everything about the wolves, but wolves are wolves and they're very keen animals and they seek out the right habitat and they know where the prey is. And, and there's no doubt about it that probably wolves will change the, the habits of elk some uh, elk in Colorado get forced out of the high country because of the snows and go down in the lowland, and no doubt about it, wolves will be down along those areas where where cattle feed and where elk feed, and there's going to be some uh, there's going to be some conflict there. Yep. And uh, so, like I said, they're going to just have to manage them, come up with a plan, and do it. And it's going to take many years for them to figure it all out and do the right thing. And but we're forced to have wolves and. What was interesting, a couple questions came in on this first session. They talked about wolf tourism. Yellowstone is a unique place, 2.2 million acres with a few roads through it, and not too many people get out of their cars and go cross-country because they don't allow too much of that, especially if there's animals around. And some of the wolf guides in that country know where the wolves are they have gps collars they know their movement they know exactly where they go they know where to line up the tourists along the road with their binoculars and high-powered scopes and their cameras and a question came in for the two biologists one from montana and one from idaho do you foresee a big increase in wolf tourism elsewhere other than montana and both of them said no yeah absolutely not (laughs) that's not even going to be a thing you and yeah, I are going to spend plenty of time in the woods, and if we saw one, it'd be right. a rarity. Yeah, and that, and that's one issue that that's one subject that was a was was big on the pro wolfers of, of of having people vote yes because you could we're going to be able to see them and hear them uh, readily around Colorado, and and that's not going to happen the way people think it's going to happen. The other thing that happened was there's a there's a terminology called uh, tropic cascade. Mm-hmm. And what that really means is that every organism in the environment depends on the other. And for an example, in Colorado, we have hunters who are the main predator of wildlife in Colorado, uh, basically to reduce the herds down to management levels. Uh, when you bring in a major predator like uh, a wolf, that becomes another top predator. And by managing the ungulates and the moose and the deer and the pronghorn, there's a trickle-down effect to the beavers and the butterflies and the little crawly creatures that are under logs, and that's the cascade effect. Uh, the question came in is, uh, can can you expect this on a on a large, large area like Colorado or even Montana or Idaho or, or Wyoming? And both of them said, no. You can see it in a smaller area. You might take a... 20 square mile or a 50 square mile of Yellowstone and say, yeah, look at what it did here. Elk had a tendency to be in this valley a lot. They chewed down the, 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 the habitat a lot. It affected the beavers and the butterflies and the little critters. But the even majority that, of Yellowstone. Yeah, even that grand trophic cascade example of the beavers and all that stuff, they didn't yeah. take into account the massive number of beavers that were implant, implanted into that area in Yellowstone. That yeah, was, there you go. They, it's not something that was just one factor. It's not a testable yeah. thing. And yeah, I as former science teacher, I 
had to teach about trophic cascade and you're like, well, what examples out there? And it was just Yellowstone. (laughs) That was the main example that was out there. And years later finding out that that was not what it was sought out to be. Yeah, I I agree with that. The other thing they talked about was dispersal. And I think Ed Banks and, and the other cohorts who were on these sessions talked about dispersal and they have maps showing radio collared uh, wolves dispersing from Yellowstone to Colorado to Idaho. Uh, one wolf traveled. She she left Yellowstone area and traveled into Idaho. So then she dropped down to Utah. Then she came through Colorado and made a couple big circles. She must have traveled 4,000 miles, mm-hmm. and they had a radio collared. Now, what's interesting, recently, they think there's a mating pair just north of where I live here in Fort Collins up on the Wyoming-Colorado border near ja- in Jackson County, north of Walden. Or, And here's what happened. Here's what's interesting. Five years ago, someone took a picture of a black wolf up near uh, Walden, uh, and just south of the Wyoming border. Somebody, I think that the, I don't know if it's the division or the feds, captured that wolf tagged it and classified it as a male i heard about that and that it's a female so yeah so recently (laughs) they found another wolf presumably a male and this black wolf is taking on denning characteristics and now they claim this black wolf they thought was a male is a female and there might be a a litter being born in northern colorado uh, as we speak or you know, in the near future. Someone and didn't could, pay attention in health class or watch boy, that, kindergarten yeah, cop. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. So nobody's taking any credit for that, but it is what it is. And then of course we had the, a few wolves discovered over there near Browns Canyon in Northwest Colorado. And I've talked to people that and ranchers that have been on the, on the, on the land for many years saying, Oh yeah, we've seen wolves for the last 15 years, one or two here, one or two there. So, there's it's like bigfoot you know show me mm-hmm. the evidence and I'll, I'll show you that there's a bigfoot around but people saw, saw wolves maybe they thought they saw wolves maybe they thought they heard wolves but i think there's probably been wolves a few wolves in the landscape more than the last four or five years and uh, of course that one that wandered all the way down from what yellowstone was killed on the interstate back in in like early 2000s uh, with a collar around her neck uh, so there's around it but that wasn't enough they they wanted more wolves and they wanted more wolf management. And they wanted wolves reintroduced to Colorado to get breeding pairs. I don't know how many wolves they'll end up in Colorado. I don't know. The question is, well, will 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 we be able to hunt wolves? And I think listening to these interviews, that is one of the goals originally. I don't know if it was originally, but it came out of all the planning that eventually, when the states took control of the wolf population and they met their goals. And there was no more legal battles being fought against wanting more wolves, and there probably will be in Colorado, like other states. They'll allow hunters to come in and buy a permit, and during maybe elk season or during big game season, they can buy a permit, and they can go out, and they'll have a threshold of how many wolves they can kill, just like mountain lions in Colorado. They they allow so many permits to be given, and once those permits are filled during those game management units, then... They, they don't allow any more hunting, and that's what they do in the other states, too. So there's no doubt about it that somewhere down the road, maybe 10 years, 15 years, there'll probably be wolf hunting in Colorado, and there'll probably, so I don't know how many wolves, I don't know how many wolves they'll be allowed. They do know this, 
that once they introduced the wolves in the Yellowstone, they grew, the packs grew really quickly. There was almost like a 20% increase in wolves every year because there was mating, there was prey, the wolves did well. Uh, the, the elk stood around and didn't know what wolves for the first couple of years. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden they got a little smarter and they started running. And uh, so there's evidence that, that elk and wolves, you know, I won't say can get along, but wolves or elk get smart pretty quickly and they start running. And of course, you get a bull that's running in the snow. They even showed videos of that, of wolves, a pack of wolves attacking a, a, a mature bull elk, getting him in the snow and killing him. And of course, the same thing is going to happen to moose. So, yeah. Who, who knows in the long run uh, how it's going to affect hunting permits, hunting in Colorado? Um, don't know. Don't know. We can some we can guess, but guessing isn't you know scientific. Uh, we can presume it's going to. We know it's going to happen, but we don't know to what extent it's going to happen and how it's going to affect hunting in the future. Uh, I think what I've read about Yellowstone and Idaho and wolves and how many elk they'll kill per wolf is somewhere between 15 and 17 a year. So if you have 100 wolves in Colorado and they kill 1,700 wolves. Uh, out of a herd of 280,000, uh, is that a big issue? Now, I suppose if they're in your area and you're hunting in that area and those bull, those wolves are creating uh, an issue with the elk and they're causing the elk to change their location or their habits, that might affect you personally. Uh, maybe in the long run it's not going to affect the elk herd a lot, but it might affect elk down in the south and southern part of Colorado where they're having low uh, calf recruitment. If wolves get in that area and reduce that herd even lower, then there might be a change in hunting permits, et cetera. That, and I've uh, said it from the beginning, is the moose. The moose are going to struggle, is my prediction, just because yeah, they're I, the I, ones that stay up high and yeah, they, they and can't they move it, this fast. Well, and I, I read some studies about if wolves show up and there's elk around, elk will let them get within a, a, a re- reasonable two or three or 400 yard before they start moving. Moose have a tendency to stand their ground and not move as quickly. And of course, moose aren't herd animals. They're going to be a cow and a calf or maybe a, a young bull and a cow and a calf during breeding season. And you get four or five wolves surrounding that. They don't have much choice. They're going to try to seek heavy cover to get away from the wolves and the wolves are going to be able to get after them. So mm-hmm. we've got 3000 moose in Colorado. We've got 54,000 people are trying to get a couple hundred moose tags a year. Uh, and, uh, I gave up on, on, on spending $50 for an extra point because the odds now are slim to none that I'll even get one, even if wolves weren't here, but we got bears and we got mountain lions that prey on moose. So, uh, yeah. and elk and deer. So just another species they're going to have to manage properly. And, uh, I think Colorado has everything to gain from all the information that's out there. Like I said, they don't have to reinvent the will. All they have to do is put together a, a good plan. And then once the plan is implemented in a couple of years, keep their fingers crossed that they put the wolves in the right place under the right situation. And then the wolves, just like putting Northern Pike in a, in a, in a, in a trout lake that has rough fish in it and telling the northern pike that, well, we only want you to eat those carp, not the trout. And so yeah. It's like putting wolves in an area and saying, okay, 
You know, you can take a few elk, but don't go after the cattle or vice versa, something like that. Yeah. Wolves are, are going to do what wolves are going to do. And it's unpredictable sometimes. They can yeah. try to predict all they want, but it's unpredictable. And if you put young wolves, they, they talked about a couple of things. They talked about what's the best way to put wolves in an area. Do they bring in a family group like they did in Yellowstone where they put them in pens for three months and then, not, and then got them custom to the area and then released them as a family group? Or do you, do you disperse young wolves uh, and let them find their own territory? And there's pros and cons about both of them, and there's, there's lots of money tied up in bo- both ways. I think the soft approach where you raise the wolves in a particular area and then release them in a family group uh, is a lot costlier, a lot more cost than if you just dump one off the I don't mean it that way, dump one off the side of the road and go 20 miles and dump another one off and let them find their own own right. habitat, their own spot. And then there's no guarantee they're going to stay in the area. They might end up, you know, hundreds of hundred miles away. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out, but we're forced to do it and we have to live with it. And God bless the division of wildlife for having good staff and good biologists. And then they've had hired a couple of people to really help that way. So that's all good. Yeah. Well, so all the while here in South Dakota is those that wolves get delisted all you got to have is whatever you need to shoot a coyote in this state. And if a coyote's around, you can shoot, or a wolf is around, you can shoot it. <laughs> so well, and, that's, and they've always, made a stand that they don't want them. And so any of those make their way northeast to South Dakota, they're in trouble. Yeah, well, Idaho is this, or Wyoming is the same way, except around Yellowstone. And there's a trophy area around Yellowstone where wolves oh, yep, hunted. Yep. But everywhere else in the state, they're treating as a predator. I don't even think you need a license in, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of spots I looked that. into that. I, I in wanted Montana, to go in Idaho. You do need to buy a permit during the big game season to hunt them. Uh, but now, if it's going to be interesting to see exactly what Idaho is really going to do, are they yeah. really going to take their 1,500 wolves and reduce them down to 150? There's a lot of pressure on the Biden administration to relist the wolf again, and mm-hmm. who knows if that's going to happen? I think, yeah, who knows when and where that might happen. And if it happens, uh, there's probably no doubt in my mind it's probably going to happen, but I don't know that. Yeah. But know that Defenders of Wildlife and some of these other groups are just going to be spending a lot of money with their lawyers uh, advocating that the wolves be listed again. Uh, when and where, I don't know. And then Montana is on a similar course. They want to reduce the wolf population down to reasonable, more reasonable numbers because they're getting a lot of input from their cattlemen. And so... Colorado's going to, we talked about state population. Colorado has 5.7 million now, close to 6 million people. And that is twice as many population, human population that, that Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho has. So we have a human population. There's going to be conflicts with the humans. Mm-hmm. There's going to be conflicts with llamas and horses and dogs, uh, that's no doubt that's going to happen because Colorado, even though we have these wilderness areas, we've got people all over Colorado that live on the boundaries of these wilderness areas that actually go hiking and biking and cruising in these wilderness areas. There's going to be conflict, no doubt about it. It's just how they handle it in a proper way that the public doesn't get so, I don't know, they, they don't, so they don't get the wrong idea that the state government is doing the wrong thing here. So, yeah, 
it's going to happen, and then hopefully the plan works out, and they have to work the plan and then keep working the plan and keep their fingers crossed and use the best science and management and keep their credibility at a high rate so people that uh, that wanted the wolves and don't want the wolves can work together. That's the I think that's the whole thing. There's always going to be people that a good wolf is a dead wolf, and there's going to be people that want to see wolves because of how they think they will interact with, with the environment, and then there's people in between that probably don't care. So, yeah. yeah. Well, um, so I got a question. Where, where are yeah. you living? Where are you living in South Dakota? Uh, just outside of Rapid City. Oh, way, way west. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm, I'm, uh, right smack dab, not smack dab, but in the, in the Black Hills, I'm a thousand feet above Rapid City. So it's nice five to 10 degrees cooler up in the trees here and haven't got to know my neighbors enough yet, but I got one one neighbor to walk through, uh, to get to national forest and national forest all the way around. So it's, it's a lot of, a lot of really cool stuff to explore here. We've got beautiful bull elk. Our elk are, the genetics on them are really cool. Uh, cause I do a lot of antler buying and just picked up some antlers today. And it's really cool to see all the genetics and these, these bulls and, these bulls are six points by the time they're three years old. The- well, here's what here's what I'm going to ask you to do something. I used to live in a water town in South Dakota back in the early '70s, and I hunted pheasants all over that area. But I haven't been back. I want you to find me find us a place to go pheasant hunting. Well, that's the trouble. I got to go two hours, two and a half, three hours east just to yes, get because it's all grouse. There's a lot there of sharp tailed grouse, but I do have a new dog coming. I got to go pick up uh Llewellyn setter at the end of the oh, month. Oh, they're they're beautiful. Well, my black lab who's out in the kennel is 12 years, 3 months. And he's the he's my super wonder dog. He's my pheasant duck and goose dog. And he's got he still has the best nose in the world. And he lost his eye when he was 3 years old. He ran across the county road and got hit by a a truck, he was chasing a fox and he was coming back out of the ditch and a truck hit him and we had to take him to the vet and $3,000 later we had his eye taken out and mended and sewn up. But the following year we retrieved 50 ducks with him and he's been that way all of a sense. But Chase doesn't know that we have a new puppy on order for next January. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Oh. And I've had dogs all my life. Chase is my sixth one and but that uh, pointer you bought, those are great dogs. They're, they're so versatile. They'll retrieve, they'll, and they point also, don't they? Yeah, and I got just a sweet deal, sweet deal. Uh, this is, I'm going to actually split this into uh, two podcasts. <laughs> so there, there's uh, two different things here. So we, we've got as much time as we really need. But um, just to wrap this up a little bit, I'd, I got a, one of my coworkers, she's kind of a, like a dog broker and she just, for some reason is always finding dogs for people or whatever it is. And she was on, we were on the phone talking work stuff and gets a text and said, I got a dog for you. Like, Oh, somebody got a dog and their, their, uh, um, wife said, Nope, you can't have it. Get rid of it. So it's a, um, he had pick of the litter. He said, I want a female. It's out of this kennel that has a six year waiting list. And this guy, uh, I, I got his number. I called him up. It's like, yeah, this is what I do. And, uh, really wasn't looking for a dog, but if the opportunity came up, but yeah, that'd be, gr- that'd be great. And I said, and I 
dropped five hundred dollars on my last my golden uh not long uh seven years ago and i thought that was a lot and i know the dogs really are now i can't afford a dog or fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> for this next pup i've never paid more i know yeah it's interesting because i started out in ohio and i think the first dog i bought was like 200 from a just a casual breeder and then the next dog was from a retriever barn and he only sold it to hunters and i think that was 500 and then we bought uh then the dog that died 12 years ago, I think locally we paid around 600 for him, and I think Chase we paid 700 and now this dog is going to be 1500 But he's got all of his shots. He's got a, a microchip in him. He comes from a really good breeding, and he's got a little pointing lab in him, which huh. I don't know if he will be, but but he's in his ancestors. i got to ask the breeder if he's got a little pointing in him, which would be kind of interesting because as I slow down a little bit, I can't keep up with a lab chase on a pheasant down a corn row. Yeah. Yeah, so I got a, I told that guy that was a little, 500 was a lot at the moment, and he said, oh, I don't want anything for it. Like, are you serious? No, you better, you better buy him some uh, Crown Royal or something. I know, that's the problem. I don't know the guy, and it sounds like money is not an issue after I did a little Googling, the, the patents he has under his name. Uh, okay. he, he, money's not an issue, so I don't know what to, what to get a guy that money's no issue and you don't even know them. So I got, I, I've really got to do some, some digging just to see what kind of South Dakota thing I can bring them or I don't know. I might bring them a big sure. elk antler. Or I just something, a thought about a really cool knife, but he's an older gentleman kind of. And I think the reason why he's getting rid of the dog is because he's got some health issues and, okay. and, and his, right. that's why his wife said no, but he's paying, he got a deal from the kennel and, it was fifteen hundred dollars, and I yeah, think yeah. I think that guy's charging quite a bit more to his other clients. So I I on top of that I get pick of the litter of the females. Nice. So, well, when uh, you figure out the turkey situation in the Black Hills, I want to call from you. Yeah, it'll it, it needs some time. It needs some time. It's I ate two tags this year, and and wow. it, it's I didn't spend a ton of time doing it because. I'm just still settling in and bought a new house, but the okay. a lot of the birds are the the bird feeder birds in the hills still. There, it's you you gotta the first couple of weeks are when you have to be here uh, when they're talking, and you could get on like I got on birds here and there, and I screwed a couple up. Long story, <laughs> but uh, there you could get on birds. It's just the numbers are way down from sure. where it used to be, but well, it's such gorgeous and, and country. Even in, even in Nebraska, people were complaining about numbers being down. And even the biologists over there at the state wildlife areas where I hunt said the numbers were down. That was over five years ago. And they blamed it on the drought and the fact that there weren't a lot of insects around in the spring so that the young, young birds could have some good nourishment. I don't know if that's exactly true, but it, it, it certainly didn't help. I did started doing some research on it, and evidently around some places like New York and other places, there's some diseases going on, not so much the avian flu, but there's some other types of things that get into the per- turkey population that can can cause the numbers to go down drastically. Hmm. Uh, but I'm seeing turkeys basically in the same area because in some of these feedlots that are maybe two miles away from the state wildlife areas, the turkeys stay there in the winter. 
or in that general location. And then once spring comes, they start migrating into their roosting areas. And then there might be 100 birds that start. And then as they move along the creek bottoms, they drop off into their normal roosting areas. And then the next group goes another quarter of a mile or half mile, and they drop off, and they keep dispersing that way. And so sometimes when I get to an area where I hunt, there might not be any turkeys there, or they might be a half a mile away from where I normally found them the year before. But I know the area very well, and like I said, I could have killed my two turkeys the first day I was there, or definitely the second day. And then when all the all the hunters showed up on Saturday, I was I had people walking between me and the creek, 200 yards away, running and gunning with their turkeys and their blinds, bow hunting. But the following year, I never saw. The following Sunday, I never saw a hunter. And then the following Monday is when I killed my bird. The birds just got scattered, but they came right back. But that's nice because the Nebraska season starts the last week in March. When does the uh, South Dakota season start? Uh, it's early March. Mid-A- no. Mid-April? It's, it's April. Early April. Okay. And, and it's lies. shotgun and bow. There's no distinguishing between the seasons? Uh, there's a few day difference okay. from when they okay. start. Yeah. Kansas has about a six-day bow season and then a youth season and then the regular season. Colorado doesn't distinguish. It's a, you can use a crossbow. You can use a regular bow. You can use a shotgun on turkeys in the spring, and their season starts middle of April. But I find up in the mountains, especially over near Montrose and some places where I'll travel all the way over there because I like that country, I don't usually get over there until May 1st when the rains and the snows stop. I've been snowed out over in that country. Hmm. And... Uh, so, but it's a lot of fun, and I enjoy any aspect of the hunt. And so, yeah, but, uh, well, yeah, well, I, 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 I sort of, I, I sort of knew that you had mo- were going to move. Yeah, we had a little little privacy conversation the last time we interviewed, and uh, I knew you went to South Dakota, and I knew you, why you wanted to go, and and I, I wish you the best. How, how old are your children now? Uh, I got a three year old boy, just just oh boy. the one. Yep. So, so my my son's fifty five and my daughter's fifty. So I can't remember changing diapers. <laughs> I can barely remember changing diapers. And back in the day, Clint, these weren't disposable diapers. These were <laughs> company would come and give you all new diapers, and then you would clean them out and flush them down, and you know clean them in the toilet, and then put them in a diaper bag, and they'd they'd pick them up and send them off. So. That well, was the good old days. Well, I may yeah. be doing something similar because uh, I'm watching him on his monitor right now because Mama's working and okay. he's just in underwear. So I'm just hoping he doesn't crap his pants in his bed because I got, <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> I got stuff to deal with then. So yeah, well, here... I'm so glad. I'm gl- I'm so I'm tickled that we could connect up again, and I'm glad that uh, I found you uh, back in October yeah, and absolutely. were willing to uh, interview about the wolf issue, and uh, I think. Again, there's so much information out there today, and I would highly advise, I'll say that again, highly advise your listeners to go on YouTube and look up Colorado Parks and Wildlife sessions, one, two, and three, uh, wolf issue, and they will see these interviews from these top wolf biologists and their experience over the last 30 years. And they'll give a, you'll get a whole new perspective on whether you love elk, uh, love wolves or want to kill off every wolf, you'll get a whole new perspective of the challenges that that are up against the Division of Wildlife. And again, if 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 
30,000 votes would have changed in Colorado, we wouldn't be having, having this conversation. But unfortunately, it happened, and it is what it is, and the Division of Wildlife has to ch- go before and, and take up the challenge. And luckily, there's been 25 years of wolf management in other states that they can rely on, and I think it's – and luckily, it, it's not going to cost us sportsmen, other than the general fund tax, to – pay for it and the division of wildlife can get on with their daily deeds and manage elk right. and deer and, and and moose and all that jazz so there's a good side to this and there's a somewhat of a downside to this if i was a cattleman in an area where at the flat tops i'd probably be i'd probably be going crazy on, yep. on the outlook of what my future holds uh, with my cattle herd and then uh, so it's all about perspective and and who's looking at the issue and but luckily i think it's going to it's going to turn out okay if the division of wildlife keeps a lid on it and allows once the wolf gets to a certain population allow hunting and it'll try to appease all sides of the wolf issue yeah, yeah. well so, that's a great great spot to to stop right there and we'll uh we'll call it a day and let you enjoy the rest of your sunday well, thank you. I've been remodeling my bathroom, and I'm I'm ninety nine point nine percent done. All I got to do is paint the, one little baseboard with some uh, latex paint, and I'm done. And uh, this was, <laughs> I, your readers don't care about this. This is a 1974 bathroom with a yellow sink tub and and uh, and, uh, and and bowl, and I, and I was <laughs> able to get the tub reglazed, and then I went down to Habitat Humanity and found almost a brand new toilet and and sink to put in, in in the place of the other ones and I retiled it and repainted it and it looks like a night it looks like a 2002 bathroom versus a 1975 bathroom so perfect glad to, glad to do that yep i got to go do a sandbox <laughs> That's there you go there you go all right well great chatting with you thanks for all the info and we'll uh catch up another time yeah, I, I would enjoy that if if, if you got it. If, if you uh, want to call me personally and talk about Arizona and coos deer, maybe I can uh, yeah. help uh, solidify. I'm, Trisha says she said this a couple of times, and I don't know if it's going to happen because I usually go to Arizona every two years. She just sort of happenstance said, "Well, if you if you want to go down to Arizona in January," and I went, "Oh, <laughs> uh, not." I'm not overly planning on it, and uh, but it could happen. I'd love to go back down there. Yeah. And, uh, I was going to go to the Pope and Young Convention in Reno, but they changed that date from May to July, and uh, so that's not going to happen. But yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, God Alrighty. bless you, you and your family, and uh, thanks. Thank all your listeners for tuning in, and uh, hopefully, we provided some good information about what's going on here in Colorado, and uh, we can hope for the best and pray for the best. And I think uh, in the long run, it's going to turn out. And I hope any rancher. Or, livestock grower that's impacted by this gets their fair value returned to them uh in the long run so thanks clint all right we'll see you bye goodbye got a deed to the land but it ain't my ground this is god's country